0: Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the GovCon world, this podcast is for you. Thanks for joining us today in our mission to make government contracts better one contract at a time. In keeping with our holiday tradition, this is an encore presentation of an earlier episode about why the government has to recompete contracts. Even if they like the products or services they're buying, they can't just keep buying from the same source over and over and over without a competition or at least a justification. Okay, let's get started. Have you ever kept using a product or or stayed with a service provider longer than you should have just because it's a hassle
1: to switch? Yeah, there's a lot of things that I keep longer than I probably should have.
0: It could be the hassle of changing. It could be the hassle of, moving information from one place to another or the spider web of things that overlap in how our technologies talk to each other. Apple, Apple is the master of building a system that, that forces
1: you to use all Apple products. I, I think they call it the Apple ecosystem. Actually, the Apple for that ecosystem. Very reason.
0: Yeah, it makes it sound very friendly, not the Apple <laughs> trap <laughs> that we're both in. It's a pain to switch. And until the pain of not switching outweighs the pain of switching, most people don't change.
1: I, I've tolerated crappy service from my cell service, my, my cell provider, my cell company for months, you know, because I, it's a hassle <laughs> yeah. to switch out your cell phone. I mean, you got to get a new phone and then I get a new phone for my wife and I can't not get the kids' new phones. And it's a, it's a thing, right? You've got to transfer that
0: data from the old phones to the new one, especially which, if you're on an Apple and you're trying to go Android.
1: Well, and the good news is that when you switch between Apple phones, whoop, it's pretty seamless. But yeah, if you're switching to a different phone, it's a, it's a train wreck. Or how about this? It's a time vampire, put it that way. <laughs> in, in Kevin speak. Yeah, it, but I don't have to change, right? So until that pain of the crappy cell phone service is so bad, which is, is actually happened, that's why this is a real story. About six months ago, I realized, why am I tolerating the phone not working? <laughs> right. And so that was enough to motivate me to change. And, and it's like there are entire business models that are built on this concept, like the you know, car insurance, they just keep raising your rates until you notice yeah. and you change uh the banks and they get all integrated with you and, and there's convenience to that, but it's like, oh, changing banks for, you know to save like, you know, five dollars on fees, it's just not worth it. And then, you know, the cable company, we tolerate you know, like really expensive cable when you can get, you know, yeah. most of the stuff through Wi Fi. But that, gotta, that is
0: changed that has changed now, right? I think now the, the the cost of switching and the quality of other services has made traditional cable television or satellite television uh, made it risky businesses to be in because there are there are alternatives
1: and it's easier to switch now. Yeah, it's true. It's an evolved. What's that called? A mature industry when people start jumping off the the train because they're like, eh, there's a better train. Right. Well, anyway, in in the government market, this this change, it's inevitable. I mean, it's even required. Yeah, beyond inevitable. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to happen unless the contracting officer in the government does something to keep it from happening unlike those of us in our personal lives who don't have to change cell service unless it's really miserable and I can tolerate it forever and just do it in the government market. You've got to change or at least justify and explain why you didn't.
0: Before we dive deep into that, let's stop and say thanks.
1: I want to say thanks this week to Katie Taylor. She's the CEO of Untold Content up in Cincinnati, Ohio. Katie's been listening to the podcast for over a year and she gave me some detailed feedback when we talked on the phone, so so getting honest, like first person feedback from our listeners, it just it really helps us a lot. It it was particularly daunting to to get her feedback because what her company does is they specialize in crafting content for other companies. <laughs> so I was a little leery of asking the question, but I'm glad to hear that our content, anyway, is good enough to keep her and her team listening for a year. So it's it was great feedback. Thanks for that.
0: Thanks, Katie. Today we're talking about how people's natural aversion to change. In the, in the real world, uh, in, in air quotes, is different in the government market. So I want to introduce a couple terms here. We're going to talk about the differences between a business selling to another business and a business selling to a government. If we use an office printer as an example, businesses sell consumer-grade printers, copiers, printers, combo, scanner machines, to you to use in your home. A completely different printer is sold to an office where people are using it all day and using those functions, the industrial grade, right? So that company, we're not talking about the the what they sell to you or how they sell to you. We're talking about how they sell to other companies. So the these industrial grade, and that's business to business sales, B2B. We may use the acronym because we're government people that need to have acronyms for everything.
1: And the other way to look at the, the business, that business-to-consumer, what you're talking about, the personal printer, right. that's B2C. There's B2B, which is business-to-business, business, and there's B2C, which is business-to-consumer. For purposes of today, we're not talking business-to-consumer because that's a whole different rabbit hole.
0: So that same printer that a company may sell in the B2B world may be sold to the government, which gets us to business-to-government, B2G. So same product, but how they sell is different. Let me bring this back to change or change aversion. In the business-to-business market, customers don't necessarily want to change. The buyer is not likely to change unless they're incentivized to change by either an internal source uh, of their their current solution. So, in your case, crappy cell phone service of your current provider made you think about changing, or they could be incentivized to change by an external source. So, a salesperson or an ad could show you that, hey, I could get a different cell phone provider for a lot less money. Or I see that they have better coverage in my area or they have a history of better service. The natural state is, well, it works and it's a lot of work on my part to make any change. So you're generally not going to do that on your own until either that internal or external source opens your eyes that it's time to make that change.
1: There's this concept called choice-affected bias. It's a marketing term. And what it says is once you choose your provider, you tend to justify sticking with them. And it's, the simplest example would be things like once you pick Google as your search engine, you got to really motivate me to switch to, to Yahoo because I understand how Google works. Well, apply that to the software at your business, to, to all, you know, all the equipment, like to the cars you drive, all that stuff, right? And so that, that choice-affected bias is one of the reasons that people aren't incentivized to change. And in, to your point, in business-to-business, they don't ever have to change, right. which is why a company will use the same vendor to you know, clean the facility for 25 years until you know, something really bad happens. Right,
0: and it also explains why every browser uh, immediately installs to make it the default every time you <laughs> open it, because once it's the default, you're not incentivized to open a different browser.
1: Yeah, it's almost like extra work.
0: So the business-to-business world, we're talking about products and services that become your default. In the business-to-government world, the customer usually doesn't want to change either. Remember, in the government world, the customer doesn't have the money and doesn't have the buying authority. They're the users. They're the people at the end, the the soldiers at the end. If you're in the DoD world, they're using whatever you build to protect themselves or to fight or to prepare or to communicate. That customer generally doesn't want to change.
1: For the same reasons that we talked about when the business to business. It's human nature to not want to change.
0: In the government world, the buyer is required to change unless they can justify not changing and again there's internal and external reasons for justifying that internally the contracting officer has to be able to justify not changing using one of the reasons not to compete that are laid out in the far and we talked about those in detail in our justifications and approval episode
1: which was episode 17 what jeez that was a long time kind of ago it
0: was the key is there's not a lot of reasons that the government can ju- use to justify sticking with the same source.
1: And the bigger the contract gets, the harder that is to get that approved. So functionally speaking, they're going to be recompeting.
0: The only external force that really applies to, to the government's decision to, to not change is if what the government is using, the, the good or service they're using, is literally the only source on the planet that can satisfy their requirements. And that's pretty rare that there's only a single source. Because as we talked about in that JNA episode, given enough time and money, you can always develop another source. I think you used the example of, of, a, of a test range in the middle of nowhere, that there was only one.
1: Yeah, because it was above, I think it was above 8,000 feet. Right. It's like, well, unless you're gonna build a mountain in the East Coast that's higher than that, okay, there's only one of those. Right, but given but enough time
0: mo- and money, you could build a mountain and build a test range. It's not practical, but it could be done.
1: And to your point, there's only one company that can do it now. Right. That, so you, it's it's still not forever. There there are I can't I can think of like one thing that's got like a 50 year justification to only use one company. Everything else, it's like eventually it will be recompeted. And again, that principle of eventually it will be recompeted doesn't legislatively apply in the business to business sales market.
0: So the natural state for business to business is to not change. Because the cost of changing, it can be painful. In the business-to-government market, the natural state is to change, and we'll get into the drivers for that natural state of change. Bottom line, B2B and B2G are different. Not in every way, but in a couple crucial ways that make the government market really maddening to navigate if you don't understand the context of those differences.
1: Okay, it sounds like it's far time.
0: The FAR is littered with rules that drive the government's need to change on a regular basis. We'll start with FAR 16505, and this is subparagraph C1. It's a limitation on task order contracts for advisory and assistance services. Sometimes we call those CETA, Systems Engineering Technical Assistance, as well. It says limitation on an ordering period for task order contracts for advisory assistance services, except as provided in these other paragraphs. The ordering period of a task order contract for advisory and assistance services, including all options or modifications, normally may not exceed five years.
1: And one of those exceptions that it refers to is the contracting officer may extend the contract on a sole source basis only once for a period not to exceed six months if the contracting officer or somebody else that approves this stuff determines that the award of a follow on contract is delayed. By circumstances that were not reasonably foreseeable, yeah, good luck with that, or the extension is necessary for continuity of services. In other words, you're waiting for the next contract to start, and you got to keep – it's a bridge contract.
0: It, is, it actually specifies that it has to be necessary to ensure continuity of services pending the award of the follow-on. So what this is saying is you have five years for an advisory and assistant service contract. You get one shot – to extend it by six months if your acquisition for the follow on is not proceeding as scheduled. But it doesn't leave you any outs for we weren't prepared for this or any other reason. You only get one shot to extend it and only by six months. And in the event this doesn't happen, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that all work stops and that the, the mission is impacted.
1: It, what it means is that now you're outside of competition and you're now doing a sole source contract that you have to get approved. So it's no longer the path of least resistance. Now you have an extra step. You have to go get a justification and approval approved to be able to keep this contract alive for another year. Which, by the way, that gets posted on Federal Business Opportunities for all the competitors to say, why did you extend it again? Point is, now it's public that you didn't get your job done in time.
0: It gets much more painful after this. (laughs) Yes, that's probably the simplest way to say it. Let's cover a couple more sites that force this change upon the government. 17204E Provides a limitation for contracts with options. It says, unless otherwise approved in accordance with agency procedures, the total of the basic and option periods shall not exceed five years. And this applies to supplies and services. So again, five years. FAR 22.1002-1102-1. I don't know how to say that right. That's good. Provides a limitation on contracts covered by the Service Contract Act. Of 1965. And again, it specifies that service contracts may not exceed five years. So you're you're getting the theme here. Five years is as long as the government wants a contract to run before you reassess your needs and recompete or otherwise justify not
1: recompeting. Bingo. And, and to be fair, five, five years is a long time. I mean, think about it. If you competed for a contract in 2013, it was a long, long time, time ago. ago. So
0: it was, it, but it, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't feel like that if you're the incumbent though, it feels like, didn't we
1: just compete for this? Yeah, Well, yeah. Cause you're, well, you're as a, as the and you said this before as the incumbent, you're competing the day you start performing, you're competing to win, the, win this work again. Yeah. The whole so time. You always. Yeah. Whereas if you, if you lost the competition, you forget about it for like three <laughs> years and then you start competing again. Right. So, yeah. it's You felt like you just won it cause you never stopped. So what you're talking
0: about is actually the, the acquisition and execution time zone. So let's be specific about that. You're thinking about this need to change in the government market during the market research zone in the in the acquisition time zones and during the recompete zone in the execution time zones. I should probably take a second and explain how that works. If you think about the time zones as as a clock and you're starting at, at 12 noon, top, top of the clock, and you move clockwise, you're going through the requirements zone, the market research zone, the RFP zone. And then as you get down to six o'clock, you're at the source selection zone. Going up the other side of the clock, you enter the execution time zones, the honeymoon zone where you've started contract performance, through the performance zone, the recompete zone. and As you approach 12 o'clock again, you're in the wrap-up zone. Now it's a little more complex than that because the time zones actually overlap a little bit. And what I mentioned before, you're in the market research zone and the recompete zone at the same time. If you're the incumbent, the government is doing market research for the recompete during the end of the period of performance of the existing contract. So if you're the incumbent, you are in the recompete zone and looking at the market research zone at the same time. That's a bit of a complex topic that's that's hard to visualize when we're when we're talking about it on a podcast, which is why we have a training course that covers the acquisition and execution time zones that, to help people visualize it. Let's talk about why this is important for people to understand, Kevin.
1: Change is coming. I mean, you got to watch the clock. While you can't prepare for everything, we at least need to be aware of the schedule. I kind of mentioned a minute ago that if you're the incumbent, you're competing the whole time, but you know your contract is expiring. You know the things you need to start paying attention to. And if you're on the government side, you got to understand what's next. What's the acquisition strategy? How are we going to compete this again the same way we did last time? And industry is looking for that same information to figure out, is it going to be competed the same way? How do I position myself now? Also, what might cause it to close early? I mean, we did an episode about contract off ramps, episode 190, is that there are options, right? If it's a base plus options, is there a possibility that it won't go the whole five years or it might not get used to the extent that we thought? Is there anything that we can do to start preparing for this? Is because, again, we're watching the clock. There may not be other than to prepare to compete, but being prepared to recompete as a new team because the contract structure will have changed or because it's being put and merged with another contract. Or are now we doing it ourselves? Or you, we may divest the work. We may realize – a contractor may decide, you know what? This, this isn't the core of what we do, and they're not going to rebid. I was surprised as a contracting officer when the incumbent didn't bid on the work again because I didn't have context on the fact that that's an option for them.
0: Yeah, it could be that the requirements had changed so much that it wasn't – what they did, you know, their core business anymore. Or it could be that their core business changed and this became an also-ran and something that they don't have the resources or don't feel the need to apply the resources to. It's also important to remember that there's multiple viewpoints on the recompete. We did a, an episode on the three deciders, the three forces on the government side that that are involved in a buy. So episode
1: 118.
0: There's the customer, which I, I spoke about before, the the user doesn't necessarily want change. They're thinking, really, I, I just broke this contractor in or I just learned how to use this thing and now you got to change and you have a new one? There's the economic decider. This is the, the where the money comes from. And they're, they're thinking budget. Is this going to be less expensive or more expensive or the same? And really all they care about is saving money, getting, getting more for the same or less money. Very important to the economic decider. The last decider is the contracting officer. This is the actual buyer. Who is driving this change? Because it's their job to follow the FAR regulations.
1: And the contenting officer is potentially fighting an uphill battle against the other two deciders. Yeah, it could be a lonely job. Yeah, I, when, I, when I tell somebody this has to be recompeted, they're like, "Oh, <laughs> that's you know that's that's like a fart in church. That's not good news to a lot of them because all of a sudden it's a lot more work that they they don't always see the value of it. To be blunt,
0: on the industry side, they don't see the value of recompeting at all. <laughs> all they're thinking is, <laughs> exactly. "Oh crap." We have to win this all over again. We just won this. This is our work. We own it. Why do we have to compete it? We talked about that in an episode called The Crucible of the Incumbent.
1: Yeah, that was episode 199. where We talked about being the incumbent has advantages and disadvantages.
0: It's like being a professional athlete. I'll use a baseball analogy since you're a baseball guy. If you're a baseball player, they don't care what your batting average was last year. They care what it is right now. You have to reprove yourself every year. And that's very much like a business. What we're talking about here is it's your contract year. You're in the fifth year of your contract. If your batting average isn't better or as good as it has been historically, you might not win the next contract. They may cut you and move on to someone else.
1: Yeah, I mean, past performance matters to a point. And you got to know where that point is.
0: Right. You can't just say, hey, I'm a Hall of Famer, so they're going to renew my contract. If if you've lost your ability to hit those home runs, you might not get it. Let's get specific on the government side.
1: I mean, this is not a surprise or or it shouldn't be. I mean, the contract is these contracts. And we talked, there's at least three references that we gave in the FAR about five years. It's the magic time window. You document what worked and, and document what didn't work about this contract. So when when you're re- so you're ready ahead of time. That was one of the things that was challenging to keep up with sometimes was you know keeping the contract file so that whoever actually awarded the contract next time could look back and go, yeah, this this didn't work as well. And you need to be watching the clock because there aren't a lot of outs to extend the contract. We just great, talked about great. that a few minutes ago. That yeah, you can extend it past 6 months, but it's like you said it, a lot of pain kicks in. <laughs> at that point it just it becomes harder to do. And one of the things as a contracting officer, I didn't realize as well, is that the customer probably doesn't know why. They may not care, but it's still going to affect them. They don't know why or how this process works. So if your customer, let's say that's a user, a person who's, you know, you've never actually met. They're the user out in the field using this piece of equipment. And they don't realize it needs to be recompeted because, you know, they're a brand new lieutenant and they've not taken acquisition training. This is over their heads, right? But they end up on the source selection team. And they're like, why, why are we redoing this? So consider the fact that I'm not saying you have to train all of them, but understand that they probably don't know and they probably don't want to change. So getting them incentivized to understand how this process works and how to get ahead of it is, is going to serve you well.
0: Yeah, the user in the field, they may have actually wanted something. They may say, this thing is horrible. You know, using your cell phone analogy, I hate my cell phone service, but they don't know how to make that change through the government process. Or they may love what they have. They may not want to change anything and don't know that there is a recompete process that's going to be rolling on every five years at a maximum. On the industry side, we've talked about how much it stinks to have to re-win the same work over. You consider it yours. We own this. And that goes back to the crucible of the incumbent episode. Our frequent podcast guest, Wendy Freeman, I think said said it best. Company's business projections, their pipeline for future business, is based on 100% certainty that we are going to win the same work again and again. No company plans on not winning their recompeted work.
1: Which makes me wonder, like, what's the percentage of incumbent wins? I wonder if there's a stat on that somewhere. I, I, I would say, from, from my experience and the contracts I awarded, it wasn't much north of 50%. It's not even close to a guarantee. We
0: talked about how easy it is to get incumbent-itis and, and lose your recompete. It's not a given.
1: If you have employees with a background in, in commercial business, in the B2B B or B2C environment, especially if they're sales folks, it's a good idea to train them on these differences. Because we, we had a customer once, they hired a salesperson to target their government sales. And they were not trained in business to government. They didn't understand all of the stuff, any of the stuff we talked about. And while some of the sales processes and buying processes are the same between business to government and business to business, some of them are different, and they're very different. So not knowing which ones and how they apply can lead to you know peril.
0: So how did that salesperson do?
1: Well, she ended up leaving, actually. I was, I was, <laughs> I was, I was worried because it was frustrating. You could tell she was – it just didn't make sense what I was telling her. And she, it was maddening for her. And so she ended up leaving and taking a job back in the business-to-business environment. And sure enough, I, you know, I see her on LinkedIn and she's thriving because that's <laughs> what she's learned to do. She understands business-to-business sales. Not understanding that slight nuance or being open to learning it can, can make B2G sales just miserable. It
0: sounds like you just summed up what we're talking about, but let's run through those final points again and make sure.
1: B2B and B2G are different. sometimes, very different, sometimes not that different, but knowing that magnitude of that difference is huge, particularly in the business development and the pre-award side. Yeah. Ironically, I had to learn them in reverse because I know how <laughs> the government buys. Well, then I started a consulting firm and I, and I have this business where I'm selling to businesses. And for example, they're not required to go get a new team to train them every five years. right? <laughs> so it's, it's not the same model, right? So I went through this thing in reverse where I had to learn how B2B customers buy. Bottom line is don't assume your government customer will never change because they're going to. Eventually, one day or another, they are going to have to at least compete and you're going to have to rewin your work. Or the more optimistic side of that is you're going to have an opportunity to break into that market because whoever has it has to compete again.
0: Industry folks, don't get sucked into the trap that this is your work and you will always own this work. Even if the government loves you, you're still going to be faced with recompeting and re-winning your work, what you own, what you feel like you own. At least Thanks every five for joining years. us today. And with that, Kevin, podcast? I'll talk we to you later like you to check out the Skyway community ball. at Skywaymember.com. The Skyway community is the essential resource for anyone at any stage of starting, running, or growing a business in the GovCon world. We speak GovCon. Access to our team of contracting officers gives you the edge. To learn more, call 877-884-5280 or check us out at skywaymember.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.